You're listening to The Reality Show, hosted by Dan Rutstein, president of immersive tech company Laduma. Each episode delves deep into the power and potential of immersive technology in business, entertainment, or sport, now and in the future. I think it says on the corner anyway. Um, okay. So welcome back to the reality show. And uh, I'm delighted this week to have a former boss of mine, um, the magnificent Danny Lopez. Welcome to the podcast. Dan, it's so good to uh, be doing this with you today. So when I was in government, you were the uh, Her Majesty's Consul General in New York. Uh, since then, you worked at CEO of Blippard. And now you are CEO of Glasswall, which is a cybersecurity company. Um, and you're obviously in your house because we all have to be. So uh, <laughs> let's talk. The first thing I should ask, it's the new sort of first question in every podcast is, how are you and how are your family? Well, thank you for asking. Very well, thank you. Very well. It's, um, I suppose, like everybody, you know, we're all living through these rather different times and we all face very extraordinary personal circumstances. I mean, we feel very fortunate and, and very lucky. Uh, we're all together. We all get on. That's, uh, that's a start. Uh, we, have, uh, we have three young kids, uh, age six, four, and two. So uh, it's been you know, tremendous to see how the six-year-old and four-year-old have just become accustomed to going to school by uh, clicking, on, uh, clicking on a Zoom link. And our toddler thinks this is just the best time ever because you know he's spending quality time with us, you know, pretty much all day. Um, so we're well, we're well, and um, uh, and you know, trying to trying to combine the work and the personal side is sometimes a little challenging, but uh, we feel very fortunate. And I should ask the same to you. How are you? Well, it's, uh, very similar. I have I only have two children, which was a much more sensible decision than yours to have three. <laughs> uh, and it's uh, it's it's been an interesting time. Um, we were joking before that the problem with all of this homeschooling isn't Zoom. It's, um, and I hope none of them are listening, it's some of the other parents on Zoom. Um, but uh, it's, um, we're getting there. So let's talk about the work part. I think probably two yeah. questions. So let's start up. Tell me about what Glasswall does and then tell me about how you, when you knew what was beginning to happen, how you made yeah. the transition to working in a different way. Okay. Well, um, Glasswall, we are a cybersecurity company and um, we are in a space that is called content, design and reconstruction. So we're all about eliminating the threats that you have in files and, uh, and attachments. And if you think about how you typically deal with um, you know, the bad stuff that is in files, you have antivirus solutions, AV solutions. And what AV solutions do is that they analyze a file from a whole bunch of different angles and they're looking for bad you know, because um, what they are after is um, viruses that they recognize, that they know exist, and they'll look for them. And when they find them, they'll do something about them and you will be able to carry on operating um, safely because that virus has been taken care of. What happens though is that the bad guys are really good at what they do. And the bad guys tend to be, in many cases, a step ahead of, uh, of the good guys. So half the times, the viruses that are in files and attachments exist as far as the bad guys are concerned. But you know, the good guys and the antivirus solutions don't know that they exist. 
And if you don't know that something bad exists, then you can't look for it. Um, and so this is where this interesting space of content design and reconstruction comes in. We don't care. There are a few companies that do this. We're, we're one of them. We don't care about what's bad in a file or attachment. We're not looking for anything bad. All we care about is what's good. And so when a file is received, we essentially rebuild that file based on everything that we know is good about that file, which means that we take the published spec, the published standards that that file um, has, and we regenerate that file in milliseconds based on that um, published and compliant spec. And a new file will emerge, and anything that didn't conform just gets eliminated. And guess what? The stuff that's eliminated always has bad stuff. So we look for good. We rebuild a file um, based on that. The visual layer never changes, and you get a clean, safe attachment at the other end. In fact, as a user, you don't even know that this has happened. And the things that get removed from that, some of them you would be recognizable as things already out there. Some of them might not be, but I guess the whole business model is it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, what happens is that when you when you break down a file into you know hundreds of discrete components, what you're looking for is what we call a structural layer. You know, what we're looking for is to make sure that that structural layer um, conforms to, let's say, you know, what Adobe had in mind for its PDF version of you know 2014. And the moment something doesn't quite click, then there's a reason for that. Somebody's tampered with that with that structural layer. And there's only a reason why you would tamper with that, and that's to try and you know, insert something that's, that is that is bad. So you just so what we do is we sanitize that, we remediate it, and we just put it back together to how we know it should be. Um, and then and then the regenerated file comes out of the other end. And then there are other things like um, you know macros and HTML links and those sorts of things. And what we give is clients the ability to sort of dial that up or dial that down. You know, for example, a CFO might need a macro, but 85% of, you know, of a company doesn't really need to be receiving macros. So then we allow people to say, well, you know, send, uh, receive files with macros for X people, but you know, not for the rest. Yeah. Really? So it's a very safe, it's a very, very safe way of making sure that, you know, I'm not going to say to you that 100% of files and attachments will always be um, safe, but we, you know, we're very much in the sort of 98, 99% uh, space, making sure that um, anything that gets opened is essentially clean and safe. So actually, before we talk about how you're working as a company now, in terms of what's happening in the new world, is there, because there's lots of reports of um, uh, sort of scams and so on related around, yeah. so in terms of people trying to be mischievous with files, is there yeah. more of that happening at the moment? Or is there just more volume of work being sent around because everyone's remote? No, you know, it's, um, it's a great question. And it's so... Um, it's pretty sad because the reality is that yes, it's increased massively. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, the bad guys, they love the chaos that we're living through right now, you know, because chaos means that we, you know, are a little bit more distracted, we are tense, uh, we're sort of less on our guard. And then we tend to open things probably a little bit more freely because we think it might be something useful. So you look at the number of uh, phishing attacks that have happened with files and attachments that are labeled something along the lines of COVID-19, extremely important file. Um, and then, of course, you open it and it's it's some phishing attack. There's been loads and loads of that reported you know, across the world over the last few weeks. And the reality is that you know when we are at our most vulnerable you know, now, 
is when the bad guys will strike even more. And and there's and there's you know there's the individuals that do it. There's the, the commercial um, you know bad guys who are just trying to you know ransomware and trying to get money out of you. And then of course there you know, there's the um, nation state based cyber attack. So it's increased. It's increased, and not only has it increased, but it's increased by using COVID as a way of being able to you know get you to open stuff. How quickly did that? Were people using COVID for bad before people were even reacting to it from a sort of lockdown point of view? I think this is a thing, you know, that we don't realize is that the, um, the cyber threat is, is so huge because there are a lot of people who are very good at what they do who can react within seconds. So, you know, if you think back you know, the last 40 days or 50 days for us, just sort of merges into <laughs> the, the rather extraordinary period that we've been living through but if you sort of go back to say march 5th march 6th there was a very big difference to how we felt on covid on you know that day to how we felt maybe four days later by which time some countries were already in lockdown you know italy was starting to live through the nightmare that it's been living through over the last few weeks um and the moment fear starts you know all you need to do is you know within, within hours send something out and your mindset is completely different already so the attack started um, the attack started pretty much, you know, yeah. I mean, I was going to say days, you know, uh, that probably 24 hours after this started becoming a thing. Yeah. And, and is ransom, ransomware, you know, there's some incredible stories about ransomware over the last couple of years. They, you know, whole cities, yeah. departments, hospitals and so on. Has there been more of that? Because presumably people, it's going to be harder for people to pay, but more important that they're able to get their functions up and running when their staff aren't even in the building. So has, has that been one that's gone up particularly? I don't have much data to, uh, to support that, but you know, my instinct to say would be to say yes, absolutely. Um, and don't forget that a lot of the ransomware that's, that is out there right now also attacks individuals. Um, so it's not just about attacking corporates, but you know, everybody's spending more time on laptops um, and, uh, and you know, more time in front of a screen. And it's very easy you know, to sort of, Threaten, uh, threaten individuals, um, and you know, instead of asking for a million dollars to a corporate, you know, you can ask for two grand to an individual, and you know, you'd be surprised at how the success rate for those sorts of uh, those sorts of emails is actually really high, unfortunately. So, obviously, at a time when you're you're busier at work because there's more threats. Yeah, your customers need you more than before and ever before, but then your team are also now not able to go into an office. How has that been as a company? So we started, um, we started our own glass wall lockdown um, probably 10 days or so before the majority of, of people here in, in the UK. So we, we've got this, you know, we've got a great um, CISO and head of engineering um, who uh, actually was, was pretty amazing you know he really saw this coming and uh and, and forced us as a leadership team to have a lot of discussions i would say you know before a lot of people were really taking this seriously and we decided that we if, if we got to that stage where we would have to be out of action for at the time we thought you know two or three weeks we should probably test this thing out um and see how we were going to operate as a company so i, I forget the exact dates but you know uk lockdown was march 23rd um yeah i would say we started last one lockdown around march of 10th or 11th and we did this for um we did this for a few days and the first three or four days we had all sorts of teething problems um and then within three or four days we kind of found our groove um and then actually the end of our sort of pilots 
essentially coincided with the beginning, you know, of of lockdown in the UK, and we we never went back. So you know, what started as a pilot has now been going on for for six weeks, and you know, we can talk more about what it looks like when all this is over. But I have to say, we've we've feel like we've adapted really well. You know, I mean, we're a technology company, so of course that helps. But we've um, we've reorganized. You know, we've changed our structure a little bit. More squad-based activity versus versus more structured teams. Um, we actually engage way more as a leadership team than we used to. You know, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, etc. You know, this we see each other far more. I have to say, um, and uh, and our contact with clients doesn't really change because we've got clients in the U.S. and we've got clients you know, across the country, etc. So all in, I have to say, this felt like a very positive experience. I think that the one thing that that is a problem and a challenge is that. Some people are absolutely fine working from home from personal circumstances perspective, but you know, as we joked earlier, when you've got young kids at home, you know, it becomes it becomes a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that there will be a lot of implications as to what it means for companies going forward. But getting kids back to school is pretty high up on the agenda. Yeah, I know absolutely. So in terms of sort of leading a team going into this crisis, so when we worked in government, there's a lot of work done around crises. Uh, yeah. So you're a consul general in New York, so you would have been preparing for, you know, what happens. I, mean, you, I know we had a few bits and pieces around sort of weather systems, but you were preparing yeah. for terrorist attacks and what you do yeah. with all, people, all that sort of stuff. Um, and also, as a consulate, you do all these things around resilience and backup. Yeah. What can't get to the office. Yeah. Do you think some of that stuff, which government does do, foreign office does do very well, do you think that helped you as a leader coming into this? I think it helped me massively. I mean, I, 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 I'm trying to think the biggest crisis I, I had when I was in New York was possibly probably um, working through, uh, you'll remember, Hurricane Superstorm Sandy in 2012. I mean, the Foreign Office training is extraordinary. I mean, I, I, just the training alone, um, you know, just the calmness of dealing with these um, these situations and, and being under severe pressure and working as a team and getting everything organized really speedily, et cetera, was very helpful. Then I lived through through a few of them. And yeah, I would say that it really prepared me. But one of the, one of the things that I really took out of it was how important it is to prioritize welfare of staff. Mm. And, and that was something, you know, because when you're dealing with a crisis, you, you sort of tend to naturally and instinctively you think about the crisis you know the external issues that you're dealing with etc which of course are paramount and i think before my foreign office training and before the experience that i had in the foreign office i would have thought that then dealing with your team and you know kind of yeah, the welfare piece etc is important but not as important as as everything else and actually the, the the foreign office experience really taught me how how key that that is and i think that my approach in glass war has been influenced by that enormously where from day one I have taken the welfare of staff um, the you know just the need to spend enough time understanding where everybody is at the importance of checking in very frequently this is everything around how you deal with with your people has been one of the key learnings that I took from the foreign office which I think has been very useful in a time like this yeah which I'm sure you you live through too yeah I think that's right I remember when, when we're in LA we're always preparing for the big one you know the earthquake yeah we had we had a very small earthquake the other day in the middle of everything that's going on, which people thought was just what you need. Yeah, very poor timing. But yeah, on the sort of checklist of things you do, staff welfare 
it's very close to being number one is what you know where and how are all your team um, yeah i think that's absolutely right so yeah. in terms of yeah. working, how it's working now your teams are obviously working from home because you're a tech company that gives you obviously a, a natural advantage to certain other companies um you say you've been engaging more with people in what way and how, how what's that look like for you as a leader well, it's interesting because we have an office in um, in a town in the UK called Chelmsford, and we have um, around 35 engineers there. And then the non-engineering staff are based, you know, kind of London and other 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 places in the UK. And so we we used to try and get together at least once a week in Chelmsford. And that was the day, typically on a Wednesday, where yeah, we would all spend time either in a room or talking to each other, et cetera. But actually, it was kind of that day. You know, Wednesday was, was your sort of FaceTime day with, with loads of people. The environment that we're in right now has led us to a place where we do this every day. Um, mm. You know, we, 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 have a, we have a Microsoft Teams call pretty much every day. You know, our all hands uh, is more frequent too. It's it's you know, we realize that it's challenging, and therefore we have forced ourselves to be far more um, focused on on having FaceTime. Um, so I think that's that's you know that's that's the key really. And and you know I said to my leadership team to do things like check in with two people a day in the company who you would not normally talk to. We're only fifty people all in. Um, but actually, if you think about that, you know, you talk to 10 people every week that you, you just wouldn't normally have to engage with. You sort of force yourself to do it, and then you get everybody to do that. And all of a sudden, there's just way more communication going on. I think that the thing for me that's really interesting is, as a leader, where so much of being a good leader is being able to capture the nuances of you know, how people are reacting when you say something or... Uh, um, you know, you typically just get this when you are in front of somebody physically and you're in the same room. And I think the, 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 the really interesting thing out of all of this is how are you able to do that in a Zoom or Teams or, you know, whatever it is environment, you know, have that sometimes difficult conversation, challenging conversation, whatever it might be, and really get a sense that you know exactly how your employee is feeling um, or what you need to do to be able to help them on a particular topic and all those sorts of things. And I think that it's going to mean that from a leadership perspective, we talk a lot about interpersonal skills and interpersonal sensitivity and you know, all those sorts of things which have been so important over the years and the softer skills. But those softer skills now will evolve because they'll have to be just as efficient in a digital environment as they will in a physical environment. And you know, the leaders who are able to do those two things really well, and I think they really are very different, um, will, be, will be leaders in the future who will, who will succeed more than others. But I think it's early days, but I just think there's something there around how do you leave behind the screen and and in a room and do so very well. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, I, I've worked predominantly in open plan offices for most of my career. And when you've had to have difficult conversations with people, obviously you do it in a side room. But then you, you know, often, depending on, unless you're firing them, if you're having a normal difficult conversation with somebody, you know, you release them sort of back into the wild, as it were. And it's really either keep an eye on them or ask someone in your team to. But here, yeah. Finish with them, they can go off and do who knows what. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, be sort of, you know, under the desk, uh, you know, making hand signals towards you while you're talking, and you can't tell. So yeah, you're right. It's a, an interesting one. So what, what, it, it's always difficult to know at what stage in a crisis like mm. this 
you can start trying to work out what it looks like afterwards. So you, you mentioned earlier on that when you first shut down, you were thinking it's two or three weeks. It could be three to six months, theoretically longer, but probably, well, yeah. who knows how long. Have you started the, the sort of conversations of the leadership team about what does dispersed working look like going forward? What lessons have you learned? What might you do differently, even when things settle down, if they ever do? Mm. Yeah, we have. And, um, and we speak about it a lot, actually, because you know, I remember that probably after the first week or so, I'll give you an example. We, the, the lease that we have in our offices in the UK um, runs for another year. And I remember at the end of the first or second week um, of lockdown saying to my team that I wondered whether we would all get together again in that office. And, and people just, you know, just looked at me on, on teams like I was crazy. You know, this was, this was a year that I was talking about. And all of a sudden, you know, three or four weeks time, this has become something that we really are talking about seriously because of course we'll go back to that office, but will we all be back? Will we all be in that office together at the same time? I actually don't think we will. So, um, you know, the moment that became a reality or something that we needed to consider, it really triggered in my mind that we just had to look at absolutely everything. And it's funny because before this had even started, I was already starting to spend quite a lot of time thinking about virtual teams and, and how you can build a really successful company without a physical office presence. And you, there are a number of examples, particularly in the US, of companies that have, that have done that. But, and it's not about the physical presence. It's not about the office. It's just that you work very differently if, if, if that is the case. And I think that we are heading into a, I do, I do think we're heading into a very different world. You know, I mean, I know that there are various schools of thought. You know, one is, well, yes, this is all a bit of a shock, but when it's all over, it'll, we'll just go back to normality because there'll be a vaccine and you know, we'll all be missing each other so much that we'll just continue with life as it was. I just don't think that can be the case because human nature is such that when we are forced to live in extreme, extreme circumstances like we are now, um, we show how resilient we are. We show that we can adapt really, really quickly. But I think you look throughout history, you know, whenever there are big defining events, then you will do things differently as a result. You know, they're just the big events that are transformational. And, you know, because we are, who we are and we are you know the species that has adapted thousands thousands of years we will do things differently so so i think we're heading into into that space and i think the winners out of all of this will be the companies who think most about you know how to adapt to this change really quickly and 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 become and become different so for us you know i think about things like okay you know go one by one talent when you hire talent you think okay where's my office uh, and i know that you you know you're an example down of somebody who travels a lot and, and, you know, you live in a city, but work in other offices, et cetera. But I do think that, you know, typically you have an office, you're trying to hire talent and you say, well, you know, I want the best people who live in a radius of 30, 50, a hundred miles from my office or whatever it is. I think that's out of the window. You know, I think now mm. it's remote working shows that actually your radius now should be the world. Frankly. Um, mm. And it's about finding the best possible talent wherever they are. Um, I think that we will probably be in a space where, um, we'll look at how many employees we want to have versus relying on freelance platforms. And I think that, you know, there'll be quite a lot of, you know, there'll be more and more of that. Um, yeah, I do think that from a, an office perspective, 
do you need an office environment that allows a company of 50 people to put 50 people in it? Probably not. Do you want a space where you can at any one time have around 10 or 15? Probably yes. So, um, yeah, I just think it's, you know, every single thing that we have right now needs to be looked at. Um, and, uh, and we should be pretty, you know, pretty brave about taking, taking some, you know, some big decisions. And then the other thing is that, you know, we're going to, everybody's going to need to manage their costs massively. Because this, whatever recovery looks like, this is not going to be an easy recovery from an economic standpoint. And I just think that you know, preservation of cash and uh, and financial, you know, being financially prudent is going to be absolutely key in this time. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's it's really interesting what it will look like because I agree that a lot of companies have gone through this version where you look at you know radius of hiring, you look at productivity of your staff, health and welfare, and so on. And I think it also depends on the type of staff you have. Mm. Not just what they do, but also their age group. So, you know, when when schools go back, whenever they let our children go back and be taught by somebody more qualified than ourselves. Soon, please. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I've worked from home for the last 18 months anyway, on and off. Um, I'll be productive fully again, as will lots of other people. Um, But it's actually nice to sort of see the kids at the end of the day and put them to bed. There are single people out there for whom the office is their social life. Yeah. And it, that was us 15 to 20 years ago. You know, a drink yeah. after your colleagues is part of how it all works. Now, for them, they'll be desperate to go back. Yeah. Because if you're living in a small apartment in a big city, you don't yeah. want to. Yeah. So I, th- I think there's a lot of flexibility in that. But the, I, think, I think where the difference will happen is it will switch from most people don't work from home and we'll let some people work from home if we trust them to maybe everyone can work from home unless there's a reason why they shouldn't i think that's the switch i completely agree i completely agree it's funny you know i i live in london and you know you could argue that the question becomes well do you still need to live in london um and i would say yeah I, i i do because i might not have to go to central london five days a week but I probably still want to go one or two days a week, mm. um, and and that is and that is very important. So yeah, I think that's just it'll it'll be very different. Um, but uh, but yeah, adapting is yeah. I completely agree with you on the family life because actually, when you don't commute, then you know being able to do a couple of school drop-offs and school pickups um, is is absolutely you know, wonderful if you have a family mm. and and so so fulfilling. And actually, you're saving time because you're not doing a commute. And yeah, there's all there's all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And you know, you hit such an important point. On we talk a lot about kids because we have kids. But I'm also to the point about welfare earlier. So conscious, particularly in a in a tech company, where actually a very large proportion of, of my staff are um, yeah live alone, uh, as you say, social life very much derived from that office engagement, etc. And and it's something to watch. But then I look at our ability to be able to organise. A Zoom, you know, quiz for the company, uh, and and actually you have way more staff engagement than because everybody's on it. Then you might when you say who's up for a drink. So I, I, there's just different ways of being able to to be social. You also used to run an organisation when we when you were in New York. Your team was 150 odd across the country on the yeah. on the trade side. Um, in uh, six to eight different offices. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, nine. Um, and you used to, and you had a New York-based team, but you also had this remote team, and you would bring them yeah. together 
bits of the team for various things. But do you think the experience of running, because obviously the distance between the teams, although it was all in one country, that country is was America. So yeah, difference and so on. Do you think the experience of running remote teams in the old sense of the word remote will teach you something as a leader for running remote teams in the new sense of the word? Yeah, I mean, you know, it helps that I had this most brilliant guy who was running our West Coast operation, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, who I'm talking to right now, of course. Um, but um, I think it goes back again to empathy. I, I've, before, even in my role in, in the US, a number of times, I worked for Barclays for a number of years, and I, I was in an office in New York, um, I was in an office in India, in an office in Miami. I've been in sort of satellite office environments for a number of times, uh, and therefore, you know, the recipient of, of, of leadership on, on that side. And I think I found myself in a role like I had in New York, where all of a sudden I was the guy who was trying to bring a lot of teams together. And I would like to think that I was always, you know, reasonably empathetic to, to what it feels like when you're far away. And uh, like everything, it's, you know, communications, communications, communication. And so I, that was always, that was always a very big priority for me in making sure that people felt you know, included. So yes, I think that's, I think that's, I think that has helped. Um, but I go back to what I said earlier. I think for me is, you know, the world's changed and managing via Videocon is, I think, the, you know, the, the big challenge here and, and not, but by managing, I mean doing it really well, you know, making mm. sure that you are getting the best out of people when you're having the sort of conversation that we're having right now. And that's going to be something that people will be thinking about, writing about, um, you know, sharing best practice, et cetera, et cetera, for quite some time. As a security company, be interesting in your view on video stuff, because there was some, at the beginning of all this, there was lots of, is this stuff secure? Some government stopped using certain systems. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was a big story about Microsoft Teams a couple of days ago about a bug that was found and so on. In terms of, obviously, you know, you're, you're protecting files. If, yeah. if people can hack into all of this stuff, then it doesn't matter about the files anymore. What, what's your sort of overarching view, without getting into individual companies, on video conference and safety and security? Well, I, you know, what I would say to you is that all these companies that are now found themselves having, you know, way, way more users than they used to. Um, and I think this is happening. They are investing really heavily in security. And I mean, you know, the CEO of Zoom has admitted this himself, mm. that he regrets not having invested in, in, in security as he should have done, you know, over the last 12, 18 months. But I actually really admire the fact that he was very open about this and, and talked about, you know, the, the issues that were being dealt with, et cetera. And I think at the moment, all you can do is hope and expect that these companies who are now becoming such a crucial part of our overall infrastructure will um, will invest very heavily to make sure that this is as protected as possible. I mean, it's, it's, you know, how do I feel about it? We use Teams at work. Um, and, you know, we, from a file sharing perspective and data sharing perspective, et cetera, you know, we have other mediums that we feel are, you know, feel are very safe. We use these, uh, you know, we use Zoom and, and Teams, et cetera, to communicate by video. You know, if somebody hacks that, uh, I'd be concerned, but it's not the end of the world <laughs> uh, mm. as long as you're using it sensibly. I think it's just being aware that it's an issue. Um, and as I say, expect the big companies to invest very heavily in this. Yeah. But if, you, if we, I also, but I'm also, even as somebody, you know, who runs a cyber company, I also think that it's a little bit extreme, you know, not to start naming companies, but you know, there are a number of large companies who have banned their staff from using 
pretty much everything, <laughs> you know, names that you would rate now, whether it's Zoom or Slack or, you know, just so many different. Yet you then know that they have their most archaic, you know, IT internal policies and actually they themselves are the biggest threat to their own security. So I think there's an element of practicality here where, you know, we should be using and embracing um, the big the big tools that are on offer right now is knowing how to use them um, and being cognizant of the risks, but also getting your own house in order, I think is very important. Yeah. So I'm conscious of time. Um, so just a couple more questions. So I think one would be, have you learned anything about your business that you might not have learned had there not been a crisis that forced everyone to work in a different way? The first thing I'd say is that we have, I think, become way better at understanding how efficient everybody individually is in the company. Because I think that in a in an office environment, um, you can you can hide a little bit more behind um, the office environment, what what maybe somebody who's a little louder is doing. You know, there's just an element where it's somehow a little a little tougher to really really drill down into individual productivity and i think we've got much better at being able to do this in a remote working environment which has surprised me i have to say so that's, that's been a that's been a real lesson and i think the other thing for me is it's just the it's just adaptability it's how how quick i think we've been to look after our core business um, and make sure that you know the customers that we deal with are taken care of as possibly as, as best as we can but then when we've identified a few opportunities that might be coming out of remote working, I think we've pivoted pretty fast to be able to, to strike on that. Um, and then the third thing I'd say, which is sort of non-work related, but it just goes to show how, how adaptable we are. I mean, my, my middle daughter, you know, she's four, and she's just operating seamlessly on Zoom. You know, I mean, she's you know, more effective at muting than her teacher. And, uh, and, and I, just think that that's, I, I just think that's extraordinary. And I just think it's, it really brings to life how you can just, my point earlier, when you're faced with extreme circumstances, we are just unbelievably good at dealing with something new. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as a friend of mine, his son in a different room set up a Zoom meeting with his own father, just <laughs> asking him to bring him a glass of water. <laughs> well, thankfully, thankfully, that's not happening in the Lopez household yet. Yeah, yeah no, we're not there yet, but it's, uh, you know, it's still probably a few weeks of this left. Um, look, um, Danny, thank you very much for your time. Um, it's been great to have you on. Um, uh, sounds like you're adapting well. Good luck with the homeschooling. Good luck with the work. And thank you for your time. Stay safe. No, thank you. And it's uh, you know this has been it's been a real pleasure to be able to do this. And I you know, I look back on our times working together in the US a few years ago. And you know I'm not saying this because it's now being is a podcast, but it was it was a real privilege to work with you. And I think that what you're doing both professionally and and with this is fantastic. So really nice to be a part of it. Same. I always say to people, you know, keep well, stay safe. Please stay sane. That's my main one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks very much. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Reality Show. If you enjoyed listening, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can also find us on social media at Reality Show Pod. Thank you.